What up, mic check, mic check. What up? Uh, welcome, welcome to Oasis. My name is Brendan. I am the college and adult pastor here, and I am so fired up to be with you here tonight. Thank you for taking time to be with us. And so I'm diving straight in because we are in a brand new series. If you've been traveling with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we did a series on discipleship, and now we're flipping it, and we're starting a new series called The One. And so this, like you may guess, is our relationship series for the year. So if you're interested in dating or singleness or engagement or marriage, you're in the right place. Just kidding. It's not. Um, if, you, if you're interested in something like that, you can actually come back in January and we're going to talk about that. But as I keep telling people the series is the one, they get really excited because they think I'm finally touching on dating and I'm not. So if that's you and you came just for the relationship series, ha, I tricked you, you're here, I don't know. Like, I'm glad you made it, but come back in January and we'll see you then. And in this series, though it's not a relationship series, some of you will still be excited because it's a math series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, where's my math people? That is exactly what I expected from the math people. Uh -huh. Thank you for being here, math people. So you can help explain us something in a second. But really what the one is, yes, it's about math, but it's actually our vision series. And whenever you hear the word vision, especially if it's used correctly, I want you to think eyes. And eyes show you where you're going. And our vision series helps us look into the future and decide as Oasis, as a ministry, where is God calling us? Where are we going? And I want to put a caveat even right there, because I think some people start to imply just because you're moving somewhere and there's vision and it's changing and things are changing means that you're displeased with where you're at. And that could not be farther from the truth. I am, the staff is, our leadership team, I hope is incredibly proud of where God has us right now. I am so proud of you all for coming and being a part of this ministry. I'm so excited for what God's doing in our midst, our small groups and our events. I'm pumped up about it. But I would also be lying to you if I told you that just because I like where we're at doesn't mean I don't think God has something different for us in the future. And so that different that change, it comes off the back of Ben's couple of years as the pastor of this ministry. Two years ago, he stepped into this role and he felt like God was calling him and giving him vision about church growth, ministry growth. What did it look like to have this room be more full on Sunday nights, to have more people in small groups, to have more campuses, to have more events, to have more outreach? That was what he was kind of growing in Ben, God was. And so then I stepped up just about nine months ago or whatever it was, and when I stepped up, I for two years had served under Ben and had supported him in that mission, in that vision. And today, I want to continue in, in stepping into what God has for us, but I felt like God was asking us to just take another step of faithfulness. And that next step is the one. So back to the math people here. If the math people, maybe you can lean to the person next to you and explain it, but do you understand slash know what exponential growth is? Maybe? Okay, you're smarter than me. I didn't quite get what exponential growth was, so I Googled it. <clears throat> Google can be helpful. We'll see if you think this is helpful. It told me exponential growth occurs when the instantaneous rate of change of a quantity with respect to time is proportional to the quantity itself. <laughs> I read that and I was like, this was not helpful. Like, I still have zero clue what exponential growth is. But yet, I went to Hy-Vee and I bought some of these disgusting pieces of earwax that you guys call candy, and they're painted like pumpkins because I guess it's like spooky season. 
And I need to explain to you a little bit of what exponential growth is. So this vase right here, this is what we'll call the church. And then you have one little pumpkin. And this one little pumpkin, we'll call it something like Ben. Just picked it out of nowhere. So Ben gets to be a part of the church. However, exponential growth, it looks like this. It looks like Ben goes and finds a friend. Maybe his name's Brennan. And Brennan joins Ben in the church, and there's now two people. But the two people, they go find two other people, and now there's four. And four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16. 16 becomes 32. 32 becomes 64. Are we catching on? 64 becomes 128. I'm doing all right. And then this is the tricky one. 256, right? Am I spot on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the reason I take these disgusting pieces of candy and teach you a little bit about exponential growth is because when we break down the one, this whole series, this whole idea, the vision of where we're headed, its foundation is laid on a math principle. It's when the 300, the 200 of us in here It's when we find the one and start to participate in the exponential growth of God's kingdom. Because when we look at church growth, a lot of times I feel like we get stuck up in the numbers. That to grow, we gotta get more people, we gotta get greater outreach, we gotta get out of the doors, we gotta do all of these things. But as I've been praying and wrestling with church growth, I've often been struck that the problem is not numbers, it's people. And it's when we focus on growth, we get obsessed with numbers, but when we focus on health, we look to people. And so the one, it's about people, and it's about finding health. And so when I pray alongside of our vision, and I will encourage you to pray with me, when I pray for this ministry to grow, I don't pray for a number. I don't pray for a seat to just be filled. I don't pray for just a connection card with someone's information on it. What I pray is for a person who has a story and value, a person who matters and who I want here and I want seated alongside you to be impacted by the gospel and God's grace in this place. That's church growth for me. So really when it boils down, if I was gonna sum up this series and this vision for you in one sentence, it's this. Get your pens ready. The one is building God's kingdom through loving the person right in front of me can be that simple. You can be a pumpkin in the church jar. You can invite your friends and your family into God's exponential kingdom growth. But then you might ask this question like me, and you say, well, how do I love the one? And I'll tell you, that is a fantastic question. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 29. And when you flip there to Genesis 29, we're actually going to start in verse 31 and we're going to read five verses. But before I read you those five verses, I got to give you a pretty good chunk of backstory because we're jumping into like the second half of the book of Genesis and we already have a set of characters behind us and we'll have some more in the future. And right now I want to introduce you to four characters that we'll focus primarily on tonight. The first one, his name is Laban. Laban is the father of two daughters. The first one is Leah. She's the older of the two daughters. The second one, her name is Rachel, which makes her the younger of the two. Now listen to how the Bible describes Leah and Rachel. Leah, it says, is 
absolutely drop-dead, incredibly gorgeous, like unbelievably beautiful. Picture the person in your head, you're like, they have no flaws. Like they are perfect. Just like picture it, if you're a guy, I hope you're picturing Rachel. Like she is so beautiful that her beauty was spread to the neighboring communities. They actually talked about how beautiful this one girl was. The way the Bible describes Leah is that she, uh, let's say she had a great personality. She had a really good heart. The Bible says she had weak eyes, which let me tell you is not a compliment. So you got Rachel, the one sister, she's younger and she's gorgeous. You got Leah, the one sister, she's older and she is, she's nice. And when it comes down to it, we now get our fourth character and that's Jacob. And Jacob enters into the story and he is actually a massive character in the Old Testament. Like a, a, a big portion of Genesis, this first book, is going to tell you about this character, Jacob. And we jump into the story when Jacob is on the prowl for a wife. Jacob is one of you who showed up looking for the relationship series right here. And what happens is he goes and he finds this well, and Rachel comes up to the well. And he practically, if you were to read it, you can go do it later, take, take my word for it. He practically starts to drool over Rachel. Like that's how obsessed he is with her. And so the custom of this time was Jacob couldn't just ask Rachel on a date and they couldn't just go chill and watch Netflix. Like he had to go to the father, to Laban, and he had to ask to marry Rachel. And so he goes and he starts to have this conversation with Laban and Laban is happy about it. He's like, oh yeah, I'd love to marry you off. But here's the catch. I want you to actually work for me for seven years and then you can have Rachel. To me, like Jacob says, yes, like that's I'm telling you, Rachel is good looking. Jacob says, yes, I'll work for you for seven years. I don't even want to wait for the five second ad on YouTube before I hit the skip button. And he says, I'll work seven years for Rachel. And he does. He does the work. He invests the time. And at the end of the seven years, he throws a celebration. Like this guy has waited seven years for this girl. Can you imagine how lit this party was? Like he is so turnt to throw this party to just get everybody in. It is popping up in here. And, and, and so the issue is that Jacob, he has like one too many white claws. And he ends up stumbling drunkenly into his bedroom. And I don't know if you know how the whole marriage night works, but the husband and the wife are like, they're, they're supposed to do the thing. And so he goes drunkenly into his bedroom and little does he know, Laban, the father, has done a little like switcheroo, sneaky sneak. Um, and Jacob ends up consummating the marriage with Leah. And so you can imagine, I actually hope you can't imagine, but if you could, he rolls over in the morning to say good, good morning to his beautiful wife and there's Leah. The man was spooked. He was shook. Like he did not understand what had happened. And so he goes to Laban and he starts to have this conversation and he starts to try and figure it out. And Laban defends himself and he says, you don't understand. Like I can't marry off my younger daughter before my older daughter. So here's the deal. He cuts him a new deal. He says, you can have Rachel. You can keep Leah, but you can have Rachel too. Just work another seven years. I'm telling you guys, she was beautiful. And so he does it. He goes for another seven years. And we need to pray for this man, Jacob, because he now has two wives. 
Like that is one complicated life, I will tell you what. And Jacob's got two wives, and the problem is he desperately loves Rachel. With all of his heart, he loves her, he longs for her, he cares for her, he sees her beauty. But Jacob, he despises Leah. Can't stand to look at her. Practically hates her guts, ignores her existence. So one of his two wives doesn't even exist to him. And we can take that step and say, oof, that's a bad look, that's bad husband material. But really, just imagine what Jacob sees every time he looks at Leah. He sees the mistake he made, the time he was tricked and duped. And now if we take that and we make that a little more personal, I don't want to preach too early, but think of that place that every time you see it, that person, every time you see it, that thing, every time you see it, it brings up the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of that situation and that relationship. That's where Jacob and Leah are at. He loves Rachel. He cannot stand Leah. And so we pick up the text in verse 31, if you're reading with me. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel, she remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she had gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived again, which is like, pause, I hope you understand there was like a little bit of time in between. It wasn't like bam, bam, bam. Like it's not quite how it works, but in the text it says it, boom, 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 three, four kids. A little bit of time here. And the third time it says, and she conceived again and she gave birth to a son. And she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons and she named him Levi. Verse 35, it said, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. A couple of minutes ago, I asked you the question, how do we love the one? How do we love the person right in front of me? The way we love the one is by meeting that person's fundamental needs as a person. The fundamental needs that we have as people. Oftentimes, they don't get met. In Leah's case, they're desperately not getting met. The need to be seen and heard and loved and valued and cared for and like we belong and like we're attached to places, like people care about us. Leah doesn't have that. And so through her four sons, we see her go on this journey And so if we look at the first son, I'll read you the verse again. In verse 32, it said, Leah became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear, this is a tangent, every time I hear the word Reuben, I can't help but think about a rye sandwich with corned beef hash and Swiss cheese. But in this case, it says what, what she names him is because she felt like the Lord had seen her pain. But also, when she names him, you see some of the cultural significance of what has just happened. 
And this is not prescriptive. This is not saying this is the way it should be. This is descriptive. It's saying this is the way it was. In this culture, boys were valued as children more than females. Again, hear that. It's not prescriptive. It's not saying that's the way it should be. It's descriptive. It's saying that's the way it was. And so boys were valued more as children than females because they became the heir, the one who would inherit everything their father had, property, land, possessions, wealth, status, everything went to the son. And so Leah, she has this boy and she says, oh, finally, finally, I'm going to be seen. You can see it when someone has a kid for the first time. You can just scroll through their Instagram page. You can see their poster say, look how cute my baby is. This is my baby's name. Look, everybody, look at my baby. I'm so pleased. I'm so thankful. My family loves my baby. I love my baby. That's not what Leah says. Instead, she says, look, it's my baby. Now the Lord will finally see me in my misery. I hope my husband will love me. The name Reuben, when it's translated, so this means every time this boy walked in a room, this is what people would think. Reuben, it means, look, there's a boy. She literally, Reuben popped out of her womb and she said, look, it's a boy. Finally, someone's going to see me. I have value. I have worth in this culture now. That's what she starts to say. Look, it's a boy. The Lord has seen me. Sounds like us sometimes. Maybe it's not as dramatic. Maybe it's not as out loud. Maybe we don't pick a terrible name like Reuben. But we still seek to be seen all the time. If you were to reflect on your life, how do you try to get others to see you? Is it your job? Oh man, I just got a promotion at my job. This is how much I make. This is my title. This is the people I work with. This is what I do. And you flaunt and flex your job to try to get others to see you. Or is it your education level? your degree. Ah, yeah, I'm pre-med. <laughs> Sorry, college of engineering. Like, oh, we work really hard. Like, what are you flexing to get others to see you? Is it your accomplishments? If only you could have seen my Tuesday night intramural game. Ooh, I was balling out. Or is it the stuff you have, the whip you drive, the watch you wear, the clothes you wear, the brands on those clothes, the house you drive, the, the money your parents have, does that become, what, are we all, what happened? Did I do something? Oh, you guys just didn't like whip? Okay, whatever, I'll figure it out later. You all started laughing and I was like, I don't think I said anything that funny. But uh, now it's going to get weirdly serious. <laughs> or is it your own physical body? the clothes you wear, and the way you flaunt yourself. And I am not being sexist. I am talking to guys too. Do you pick that shirt to wear to that place because you think it looks good on your arms? Or do you intentionally wear the cutoff? Or do you intentionally go to to the pool where you know people? It's all of us. We desire to be seen. And we want to be seen. And we know we're not feeling like that's fulfilled. So we start to trade it for lesser things. The second son Leah, or Leah has, as it says in verse 33, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, it's because the Lord has heard that I am not loved. He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. 
In Simeon, in the Hebrew, which is the original language this was written in, when you would pronounce that word, it would sound almost identical to the word heard in Hebrew. If one person was going to say Simeon and the other was going to say heard, they would nearly identically line up. The second child Leah has, she says, hear me. I'm heard through the name. She wants to be valued in that way. And you can see in the first one, she says, I hope that my husband will love me. When she has the second kid, it's gone even farther down the rails. She says, God knows I'm not loved. I just hope he hears me. You can see her start to slide down as she's consistently not valued. She says, I'm not loved. And again, I I don't know if we say it, but internally, do we think is the, the rat race is the the hamster wheel in our head. Nobody cares. I'm not valuable. I'm not enough. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares what I say. Nobody cares if I'm in this room. Is that what floats through our heads? My wife works for a nonprofit, and the nonprofit has a call center. And the call center is like, Old school Google, like if you wanted a question answered or you needed a resource, you could call this number and someone 24-7 will pick up on the other end and answer your question. And she told me this story once and it absolutely broke my heart, but I think it's descriptive of some of the people in our culture. They have people at this call center that they will call so consistently, not with questions, not to find resources, just to talk. And after these people call over and over and over again to this call center, they have to lovingly tell them they need to call less because they can't be keep filling the phone lines with this person who just wants to talk. And I would tell you that person, I bet everywhere they go, they don't feel heard, that nobody values them. And so day after day, they'll pick up the phone and they'll call a stranger on the other line because they know someone will pick up. Leah has a third son. In verse 34, it says, And again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now, at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. And so she named him Levi. You can see she's still trying to find her basic, most fundamental human needs in the wrong places. At first she wanted love. She didn't get it. Then she wanted to be heard. She still doesn't feel like she gets it. Now, she'll just settle for any kind of attachment. I don't need love. I just want to feel attached somewhere. The word Levi in Hebrew, again, imagine what it sounds like when you speak it. It Sounds like attached. A couple of years ago, I had this conversation with a guy from our ministry. And I was talking to him because he was really going through a hard time. And as I was chatting with him, I kept hearing in his, in his language and the way that he was speaking that the sins and stuff he was struggling with were because of the people he was around. Like, and these weren't like surface level, he could still be your friend kind of sin. Like this was deep, nasty, gross sin that most of you would not be okay with. Like he was deep in it. And I asked him, why don't you just remove yourself from that place? You recognize every time you go there, you struggle with that. Every time you're around those people, you can't get free. And he said, you know what? 
It's the only place in my life I've ever felt like I belong. He'd traded love. He didn't care about being seen or heard. He just wanted to belong somewhere. And these three sum up some of the most basic needs of what it means to be human. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to feel attached or that we belong somewhere. And then Leah has a fourth son. And in verse 35, it says, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. Thank God. But she has a fourth son. But something changed there. Like what happened between verse 34, where it says, nobody wants me. Nobody cares. I'm not loved. I don't belong anywhere. Nobody sees me. Nobody hears me. And then literally one verse later, without any clarification, she says, praise God. Praise God. I have got a fourth son. The text gives us no indication that anything about her situation had changed. But the name she gives the son is Judah. And Judah is the word praise. And she breaks out in praise, not because her situation changed, but I want to conjecture with you because I don't know for sure but I want to say that maybe her perspective did that while her husband still doesn't love her or care for her or value her while her father had given her away and traded her for pretty much just because he needed to while she doesn't feel seen heard and belong something about her has changed and I believe it's her perspective because like I said, there's, there's breaks in between these verses. It's not one kid, two kids, three kids, like four kids. Like there's years spanned here. And so between kid three and four, there's probably a year to a year and a half. And I would conjecture to you that we would hypothesize together that in that year, Leah had an encounter with God. And that something changed for her. And she looked back over the last three sons she had And she'd seen, you know what? When I wanted to be seen, God was already seeing me. When I wanted to be heard by my husband and by my community, God already heard me. I always have wanted to belong, but God says I belong. And she had these needs and she finally, it clicked. God's been providing the whole time. And so tonight, if I've been preaching and you're like, you know what, I feel like I've said that internally or externally before. I hope you take some hope in Leah's story that God provides for your needs too. He sees you. Luke 12, 7, indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not be afraid. He hears you. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You belong to him. Song of Solomon 7, 10, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. God is meeting your most basic, fundamental human needs so that in heartbreak, in hardship, in disappointment, Us as Christians, we can stand up and we can praise like Leah did. And so now you might take a step back and you'd say, I thought this guy was preaching on church growth. Like, what does that have anything to do about church growth? 
He didn't give me an evangelism strategy. He didn't give me a couple questions. He didn't give me a handout. He didn't tell me about some specific event. But remember, church growth starts with church health. It starts with you and I tonight, recognizing that God has provided for every one of our needs. That tonight you can be seen, heard, and you can belong in God's family. It's you and I getting healthy spiritually so that we can help others get healthy. Because God does this really cool thing. As he's providing for people's needs, he also wants to use us to do the same. We are God's children, created in his image and joined in his purpose as the church. There's a whole bunch of references there for each portion of that sentence I just told you. But we are God's children. We are like our Father in that we provide for people's needs. We're created in his image, working and being like he is. We are joined in his purpose as he meets people's needs. And we are the church, the hands and feet of Jesus that is sent out. And so when I talk about Oasis, my prayer is that we would be people who would join God in his mission. That when they come in here tonight, or they come to our small groups, they feel seen, heard, and belong because you're there. Not because I'm there, not because Ben's there, not because Jane is there, you're there. You're meeting people's needs. And if tonight you're one of the people, you're like, I just don't feel like this is being met in my life. I want to tell you, I see you. Every connection card that gets dropped in that bucket with a prayer, I see you. You maybe don't sit in front of me, but I see you. My heart breaks for you. Or I'm rejoicing with you. We get some awesome cards in there too. When you walk in those doors, that high five is not just a COVID spreader. It's supposed to be a moment where we say, hey, we see you. We are glad you are here. We hear you. I am free most of the time. It's the beauty of the ministry. My schedule is totally flexible. If you need something, let us know. I want to hear you. Tonight, if you need something, every week after Oasis, we have three to four of our leaders, incredible, gifted, beautiful people who will stand up here and who just want to hear you. We call them our pastoring or our shepherd team because they just want to hear your story and walk with you through what God's doing in your life. And lastly, you belong here. I don't care what you did last night. I'm glad you're here tonight. Again, remember, vision is just because we're, we're where we're at doesn't mean God doesn't want us something different. Hear that as well. But I'm glad every one of you are here. Regardless of what your past looks like stepping into this place, you belong here. This is a place for you. This is an oasis, a safe space for you. And so we, oasis and the people of oasis, start to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters, the ones right in front of us. If we want to grow the ministry and we want to grow God's kingdom, we got to focus on the health of people. More specifically, we got to focus on the one person because the one person meets one other person, which meets two other people, which meets four people, which meets eight, and that's where the best I got without the cup's help. And one person can grow God's kingdom exponentially in a semester or a year. It's not numbers, it's people. Healthy people feel seen, heard, and that they belong. 
because of who God is and because of who God has made you to be. As a result of that, we get to step into our Judah moment that says, you know what, I'm going to praise God. In my hardship, in my struggle, in my anxiety, in my, in my tough season, and in the joy, I'm just going to praise. And so I'm going to invite the band up. And when you walked in, you get a connection card. And if you didn't get one, I don't know if they put it away. I, I hope they didn't. Where's Devin? No, they didn't? It's still out there? If you still need one, go ahead and grab one. But here's the thing. At the bottom of that connection card, two years ago, I had this idea. I said, let's just put a blank where they can write a person's name. They don't have to put any information. They don't have to put anything in the box. They literally, all they have to have is the, the, the pen and the paper, which we both provide. And so tonight and every night, I hope you write someone's name in there. That's your one. The person who stands right in front of you or side by side with you in your dorm room or your classroom, in your workplace or your apartment, in your family, in your friend group. I'm going to give you a second and I'm just going to ask that you pray. And in a minute or two, I hope God gives you vision and direction for who that one person is. And I ask that you write it on the bottom of that card. And when you write it on the bottom of that card, drop it in the bucket on the way out. That's not a number to me. That's a person with a story who has value and meaning and who desperately, desperately needs the love of a heavenly father. And so take that time, write that person down. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for the beauty of your word, that through the story of thousands of years ago of Jacob finding two wives on accident, you revealed to us just a, an intricate part of who you are. And God, it's not even that, it's, it's who you are and what you provide for your people who love you. And so tonight I pray there's just a greater sense of assurance that rests on us as a body, that we would recognize we are seen, heard, and we belong because our heavenly father says we are. And not only that, God, would you send us as your grace to those in every sphere of influence that we can wield to find that one person to help them feel like they're seen, heard, and belong. And God, would you grow your kingdom here that more people would be a part of a gathering like this, that more people would join small groups, that more people would come to events, that more people would just have conversations about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God, would you make it so? We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.